Computer, initialize Holosuite. friends and welcome to random trek review the podcast where we analyze discuss and review randomly selected star trek episodes my name is matt and to kick off the fourth season of rtr uh i think i'm just going to be recording a, a correspondence to my good friend andrew actually never mind he's right here andrew how are you doing uh indenobly and matt please <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah season four of rtr i mean uh Let's just hope this isn't our last season, a la Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, but uh, let's hope that we have many, many happy returns. And uh, it's exciting to be here on the uh, season premiere, as it were. Indeed, it is the season premiere. Uh, now, to begin, as we customarily do, let's re- return to the end of our uh, birthday bonanza. Uh, and Andrew... Tell me about my uh, recall, what I what, what I was able to recall from the episode Dear Doctor, which is what we will be discussing on this podcast, and give me a score out of five sickbay creatures. Uh, I don't think that I could name off the creatures, but I can definitely rhyme off the things that you did well on your uh, recall. Uh, I feel like Dear Doctor is a memorable Enterprise first season episode, and uh, it centers around the character of Phlox, which you got. Uh, you knew that it had this kind of letter correspondence to Dr. Lucas, and you got the name, which was really impressive. Uh, you said that it was similar to Data's Day, which I would totally agree with. Um, you said it chronicles kind of the daily comings and goings and activities of Phlox on the Enterprise, as well as uh, him fitting into the, uh, the crew and humans and everything else, which is correct. Uh, you said that uh, it basically went through his daily routine, uh, his animals, and just kind of his connection with human behavior. You are really close here. And, uh, I mean, the Dr. Lucas drop is really a, a key piece to it. Um, Data's day is a nice little bit. And you got the animals from the beginning teaser. I'm really kind of torn between two two things here. The only The things that you're missing... I guess on the counter side of it is you are missing this whole conflict with the uh, the two alien species and having to treat them and kind of like the whole prime directive before the prime directive kind of story arc. Uh, there's also kind of that weird romance that we'll get into um, as well. You're so close, but I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with four animals out of five you're just missing that piece where it's uh there's that conflict between the alien species and i kind of think that that is is a big part of it uh, but i'm really torn i could have very easily gone a five out of five but uh i think four out of five is more than fair matt well i am missing the main plot of the episode <laughs> so yeah uh... but you know we'll talk about it when we get there it it is it is the it is kind of the heart of the episode, but it is, uh, yeah, it, it's it's kind of almost secondary to this Doctor Lucas correspondence, or maybe that's just the way they decided to kind of uh, display it. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I was definitely impressed with your recall and and a great start for you, uh, jumping into season four. Well, I'm certainly happy with four out of five to kick things off. It's uh, it's a good like reasonably high bar to uh to start things off so as i said this week we'll be discussing dear doctor which is an episode of star trek enterprise it is from season one episode 13 lucky 13 it originally aired on january 23rd 2002 it guest stars kelly waymeyer as cutler david a kimball as isak and it was written by maria jack metten and andre jack metten and directed by James A. Contner. All right, traditionally we go over some, like, story and development stuff. If there's, you know, a cool story about how the episode 
first got started, but I found very little. Uh, in fact, I found nothing. Uh, so unless you've got something very illuminating about how this uh, episode sort of came to be or what some of the original ideas were, I, I don't really have much. Uh, no, I pretty much came up with the same nothing um i i did kind of feel like there was lots of stuff just in terms of like it was filmed on this day and uh this happened but that was mostly uh you know pretty boring stuff nothing that was really worth mentioning to be honest and uh yeah i i kind of feel like the important pieces here are are really kind of the story points uh and the fact that it's you know like data's day and maybe was inspired by and stuff is is interesting but not really um yeah not anything really crazy crazy well i think we found that in other in later voyager and early enterprise episodes there really isn't much because it was uh you know it was a very finely oiled writing machine at that point so right these things went from beginning to finish you know script pretty pretty quickly and pretty painlessly by that point so I, I don't think it's very unusual for a season one or two enterprise episode to have really no no interesting backstories to how the episode sort of came to be so let's just dive right into it since there's nothing really to to chat about um i thought the first scene like where flox is like feeding all the animals in sickbay i thought that was a really cool scene and i thought it was played really well by john billingsley because he's like you know you know, wait your turn, I'm coming, Don't, I haven't forgotten about you. I thought that this was a really, really cool intro. Uh, yeah, and it's so early on, right, that uh, I feel like it, it really kind of establishes that component of his character as a whole, right? I think that it's always kind of one of those things where, you know, I guess like doctors we see them as as caregivers and so uh to kind of add that to all species and animals and things like that are a nice touch for for this intro it's not overly long and it doesn't really necessarily tie to anything it's just kind of like a little bit of character development for this character and uh what did we say this was the 13th episode so i mean i'm thinking at this point there probably hadn't been a flocks episode this is kind of his first uh major episode and so uh yeah pretty cool actually i uh, i thought that it was just a nice uh way to to kind of start it so yeah and it kind of goes to sort of the uh this sort of notion that this is like before all the technology and and you know flocks is this physician yes. that uh is will it doesn't always rely on technology to to heal he always he's also willing to you know use his sort of more holistic or natural uh, ways of, of practicing medicine. So I think that this also helps with that as well. But and that's uh, what, yeah, very, very cool. Yeah. And, and that's what we were supposed to take away, right? Is that the reason why he has all of these is because they're like leeches in olden days, right? Like the animals uh, can be used for a series of, uh, of medical treatments. Like, I don't know that we see that a whole lot on the show, but I think we're kind of led to believe that's the case. I'm fighting the urge to mention the osmotic eel because I know that you... Uh... Oh, yes, the osmotic eel. <laughs> I know you're probably not too thrilled to hear about the osmotic eel, <laughs> but I'm sure it was in there. Um, so skipping ahead just a little bit, uh, we see the movie night, and this is the first actual appearance of movie night on Enterprise. It was mentioned once previously, but we don't actually see it. And I really like that we see... Flocks using it as a way to uh, study the crew's sort of emotional reactions, and I thought it was very, very fitting. And I thought I like that they sort of threw in that line that he's like, "Yeah, we used to have these like hundreds of years ago, but we decided our our regular lives were more interesting." Right. Um, I definitely think that uh, yeah, it's it's funny actually because I I think that Enterprise a lot of people slag it because. You know, they end up using transporters before I think it was supposed to be used. There was all these like little idiosyncrasies that didn't match up with what people had thought. But then stuff like this is actually like really brilliantly done 
how would people spend their time, especially in a ship that's much smaller and has kind of like more narrow uh, ways of walking around and stuff like that. So I love the idea of a movie night because, I mean, it would kind of be boring just to work on the ship and then go home and, and lay in bed, right? So I think it fits with the with the story and the ship and everything like that. But then also they're using it as a nice way to kind of tell us a little bit about flocks and, and his species and everything. So um yeah, very well done. I thought that it was uh, I thought it was good all around. Yeah, the mess hall scene was uh, or sorry, the movie movie night scene was pretty cool. I like the the trip is like crying and he sort of turns around and he does the old oh, I got something in my eye. Yeah, that maybe was a little <laughs> bit much, but I mean, nonetheless, I do think that it is uh it, it's still pretty good. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So we sort of get the actual story going. Um, the crew encounters this like derelict, very primitive ship, and there's uh, there's two aliens aboard, and so they 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 sort of rescue these guys and bring them to sick bay, and they find out that their planet's been ravaged with a horrible disease, and uh, they were sent out in this ship in search of a of a cure. Um, so this is kind of an interesting and sort of intriguing, uh, you know, story that we're we're introduced to sort of in the early parts of the episode. Yeah, the only thing about it is, is that like I think they established later that they don't actually have warp technology, and so are we supposed to believe that these guys were sent out at like sublight speed? And if they that was the case, realistically, how far would they have gotten? And then once they do find them, it's like they go to the home planet, like. It must be like pretty close, like they zip over there in a second. So I'm not really sure I get that part of it. Like, uh, I guess these guys are, it's kind of almost like an inner light scenario, I guess, where they're pre-warp and they have no chance of, of surviving. So they're just going to send off people to, to potentially intercept a cure. But then how would they know that anybody else was out there? I don't know. There's something, there's a piece missing here, I think. Well, I feel like one of them mentioned that they had been out for like several years, right? Searching, and yeah, I think it is supposed to be that they don't have warp drive, so they must have been, you know, uh, plugging along at, at sublight speeds for a great period of time. So um, almost like the remember, wasn't Mayweather like a boomer or something? They called them where it was like before yeah. warp or early warp, where they could only go really slow. I guess maybe it's kind of like that. Yeah, I think that that's probably. That's probably what they're trying to, to get at here, yeah. Okay. Um, interesting enough, and like I said on the on the recap section, I don't know that this story really is as important as um, kind of Flox's revelation as well as kind of the development of the Prime Directive, but um, I do think that uh, it's intriguing, to say the least. Yeah, it was certainly, like, this, I, I watched this with pretty fresh eyes. I haven't seen this episode in, like, probably four or five years, and mm -hmm. I've probably only seen it about two or three times. So, yeah, they, they encounter the ship, and it's got a, you know, hor they're dealing with a horrible disease. I thought it was kind of interesting, and, you know, it was obviously that the uh, the episode was going to be centered on flocks, and so this is right in his wheelhouse. Um, right. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of a, an intriguing way to sort of set the main uh, story in motion. So there's uh, there's another really cool scene where Flocks uh, and Hoshi are uh, in the mess hall, I guess eating. Looks like they're having dinner or lunch or something, mm -hmm. and they're 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 talking back and forth in in Denobulin, which uh, seems like a very Hoshi thing to do. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. <laughs> and yeah, it was some nice uh, nice exchanges there, and they kept you know, Hoshi would answer in English, and he'd be like in Denobulin. Yeah, I think that uh, they definitely crammed a lot of character beats into this episode because we get Flox's relationship with Hoshi, uh, Flox's relationship with, um, is it Lieutenant Culber, I think? Cutler. Uh, Cutler, sorry. Um, Culber is D Discovery. Um, and then we also get kind of the, the, the little early bits of the uh, Prime Directive. I do like how... This is early enough in Enterprise that it's not the Kirk, Spock, McCoy effect because we've talked about in the past how Enterprise kind of panicked when the uh, ratings weren't that high and they kind of went to Archer, Trip, and Paul for every mission under the sun. And this, this is an episode that is really like Flocks, Hoshi's in it a little bit, 
Cutler's in it a little bit. Trip and uh, Archer and Tapal are really, uh, you know, minor, minor roles in this. And I, I do like that because by the time we get to the end of Enterprise, I think everybody can agree that, you know, more Hoshi and more Mayweather would have been, uh, you know, greatly appreciated. Any Hoshi or any Mayweather. <laughs> True. To, to be like, you know, you're right that they do sort of focus definitely on flocks and Hoshi has, has quite a bit in this episode, but I think Mayweather had one line and I think Reed might've had zero. Right. He was just sort of on the bridge. Right. When they found that ship and, and yeah, they're hardly in it at all. Which is okay. And I mean, I guess at this point we probably would have thought like, oh, well, we're going to probably get some of those guys episodes later. And I mean, we do get some good read episodes. I don't know that we ever got a single good Mayweather episode. Uh, in terms of like Hoshi, there's some classics, right? But I, Mayweather was just a lost character, really, sadly. I can think of one. There's one episode where they, I think they meet up with like his parents' old ship. Yes, that's the Boomer episode I was just kind of talking about, right? Yeah, and uh, he ends up he like takes he like takes a leave of absence and he goes to go and, and work with to, them. Like, yeah, fight off some bad guys. Yeah, that one's okay. Pillaging their ships. That's really the only major Mer- Mayweather. I was going to say Merryweather. <laughs> that's Blue Jay's Floyd. relief pitcher. Um, yeah, that's really the only major Mayweather episode I can even name for you yeah that that one's pretty good uh, i'll give you that that's uh that's a good shout i like that so we uh we move along with this sort of main story and the uh, enterprise takes these survivors back to their planets uh and then we find out that they're called the uh Valachians. and um we find out that these this sort of like subservient species on their planet uh is immune to the disease um which I thought was a, an interesting little bit of a twist. Um, now these uh, these these lesser aliens are called the Mank, I think. Yeah, the Mank. Now, would you say that they were being oppressed because they were being given sort of what they needed to live, and but they were also expected to like work very hard. <laughs> and the one guy even says uh, at one point, I think he said, "Oh yes, they're very hard workers. They they." They do very good work and, and whatnot. Would you say that they were being oppressed or would you say that they were just sort of being subservient or is that the same thing? Yeah, I feel <laughs> like this part of it, unfortunately, was kind of something that I I, I kind of had a hard time um, following it. Uh, there was a better episode of uh, Next Generation where basically there was like people living on the moon and people living on the planet, and the people who lived on the moon were kind of like uh, more upper class, and the people on the moon and the planet were lower class, and they kind of kept them under drugs and stuff like that. Um, in this one, it was a little bit harder to kind of follow, actually. So um, yeah, I guess there's a lesser one and a, and a better one, and they were kind of like giving them some technology but then they later found out that they actually had more technology i was having a hard time following it and i almost kind of feel like they needed a bit more exposition here where maybe like a dinner scene at archer's place or something where they kind of maybe talk about this a little bit more because i was finding it a little bit confusing on myself yeah it was a little bit odd um that that they were sort of like here's you know we'll give them what they need to live but no more and yet they basically keep the society running um i don't know if they were like trying to do like a allegory for like slavery or or just oppression but it was a little bit i I did find it to be a kind of a side thing that that i didn't think they really sort of focused on all that much they sort of just ignored it and and focused more on the fact that they were immune to this uh disease so, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it fits in sort of later on where they have this sort of dilemma of like, oh, but they might be genetically superior and they may end up evolving to the dominant life form on this planet. But, yeah, I, I thought that sort of the introduction of it was a little bit off. Yes. OK, well, I'm glad that I was in the same boat So I thought that maybe I'd have to just go back and reread it or rewatch it or whatever. But uh, I'm glad that you were kind of in the same boat. So um 
I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it also could have been just much better. And again, they did it so well on that episode that I can't think of the name of on Next Generation. But um, I mean, regardless, I mean, it sets forth the idea that there's this conflict between the two of them and Phlox is going to be in the middle, right? Because uh, if he can come up with a cure, then uh, he can, right? Like he, he can be be potentially changing the evolutionary tract of an entire species or uh, an entire set of species. So uh, I think that that's all we really need to take away from it. And that's the important part. I think for me, like the reason, the way that the, the fact that the crew didn't react at all to it, they didn't like question it. And, and they did, cause normally you would think that a bunch of humans go onto an alien planet and they see this subspecies or whatever that's being treated like dirt really you would expect maybe some sort of a, so a reaction to that, but they were just sort of like, oh, okay, that's just how it works here, okay. Especially especially when early on, you know, Archer, Archer specifically certainly was not shy about uh, imposing human values on other uh, cultures. Yeah, he was, uh, especially in these days, he just comes in lock, stock, and barrel. Exactly. Yeah. So that, I, I think that's part of the confusion for me is that they didn't really react to it at all. They just sort of accepted that that was how it worked, which is a little bit out of out of character. Flock seemed to be even more so accepting. And I guess it's because he comes from he's more worldly or more universally or something like that. And I guess he kind of just recognizes that things are different in different places. Yeah, yeah I think that may be true. So speaking of uh, interesting things about Flocks, we learned that he is a, also a dentist. As in, in a, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. How uh, he found like a, a dental problem with Tapal and used that as an excuse to to chat with her. Yes. Now I actually was thinking about this. Do you think that in the future Star Trek world that maybe uh, you don't even need like a veterinarian, like because they're so well versed in all different kinds of species of humanoid then they would also be able to work on animals and they can do dentistry and like they've just basically mastered kind of every level of medical stuff like i mean bashir was supposed to be like a savant and uh the doctor on voyager was programmed with all these different things from all over the world so like would veterinarians and dentists maybe just go by the way of the dinosaur yeah, that's an interesting question. And I, I feel like we've sort of had a similar discussion before where we talked about like, uh, you know, how, how do you like we talked about like what medical training looks like in the 24th right. century. But I just thought it was kind of cool that he's a he's also a dentist, you know, he's able yeah, to it's do nice like little dental touch. stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very, very cool. Very cool. And it was kind of funny seeing to Paul in a situation where, you know, he's basically saying, hey, you're not flossing. You know, because yeah. T'Pol is such a, <laughs> such a, seems like such a meticulous, uh, logical Vulcan. It's funny, I've been, I, I watched a hilarious Norm, Norm MacDonald joke about uh, dentists and flossing. It's... Oh, yeah? Fred... <laughs> I know, we just lost Norm like a little bit ago, and it's, uh, it's really too bad because he's, uh, he's one of our own Canadian boy, and, uh, yeah, definitely legend, really. Yep. One of the funniest men that ever lived. Um, so getting back to sort of the main story, um, we Flox determines that uh, the disease is actually, um, now I, I don't know if I remember this exactly correctly, but I believe he said it was a genetic defect in yes. the, in the uh, Valakians. Yes. Um, so essentially it's like, okay, they've, it's a genetic defect and it, it's a natural thing that, that they're just going to all die. Uh, right. Um, because of a problem with their, their genetics and there's, um, I mean, there's a way to fix it, presumably, but, um, you know, the natural course of, of, of these people is for them to simply cease to exist because. Of right. The and I think they say it's only like two generations away or something, which is pretty wild. Yeah. It was in a sort of an impending, uh, thing that was going to, yeah, like you said, it wasn't far, far away. Um, so that was kind of interesting that now you have this sort of conundrum of like do we let nature run its course or do we you know use modern medicine to try to alter their their uh, genetics so that they'll they'll be able to survive and um i, I think it sort of gives you a pretty good idea that there's going to be some sort of a, a conflict here where where they're gonna have to 
essentially decide the fate of these uh, these aliens, which I thought sort of ratcheted the stakes up uh, just a little. Uh, yeah, and especially since uh, we get uh, you know Archer is 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 pretty certain at the beginning, like oh yeah 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 definitely do it, uh, which I thought was interesting, especially since uh, it's kind of very knee jerk. So he doesn't have the conference, the the Picard conference meeting or anything. He just kind of knee jerk says like, "Oh yeah, 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 we'll give it to them then." And I, I kind of like how it's to Paul and Flocks and kind of that little bit of time that comes around that that, that kind of sits to him. So um, yeah, I, I think that this is uh, this is setting up for nice tension later on for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You can definitely sense that things are going to get a little bit uh, a little bit messy. Um, and speaking of messy, uh, so this crewman Cutler, and I wanted to kind of save this and just sort of tackle this whole part of the episode at once because it was fairly interesting. Um, so Cutler is this uh, young, you know, young female crew member who has a seems to have a thing for Doctor Flox. Uh, you know, they're sitting together at the movie night, which uh, you know is one of those sort of cliche things that you might do on a first date. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he, he, Flox doesn't seem to know what to do at first. And so, he, you know, he seeks some advice and that's why he was chatting with uh, Hoshi and Denobulan in the mess hall. And then why he, uh, he, he sought to Paul's advice and yeah. uh, as expected, she was uh, cold as ice mm-hmm. about it and basically just told him like, you probably don't want to do that. Uh, because I guess she just doesn't like humans and doesn't think it would be a good idea. Um, but then he seems sort of interested in, in pursuing it. Um, and and he, he sort of, he makes a move and she kind of was kind of wish-washy about it. It was kind of a weird, it was, it was kind of a weird thing how she kind of almost reversed course when he finally did something. Yeah, and it's it's almost like he seems like he's like too old or something for her. Like it just doesn't look like that kind of match. Like they almost should have picked somebody who was like a slightly older actress or something, because she looks really super young. And uh, th- yeah, this it just this whole thing kind of feels strange. Like um, they do a good job in the sense that it doesn't really end with them kind of having a relationship. It's just just kind of muddled i guess maybe this happens on occasion right where there's like a little bit of an attraction and obviously she respects him a whole ton and she's very good looking and there's something there but it's kind of like not enough to to make it really work and so it's cumbersome and i think they do a good job of displaying that yeah and they left it kind of hanging right because yes. at the very end he's like he he asked her to go have a midnight snack or whatever and she agrees so it's kind of like so it's oh, like yeah maybe. like it's like a will they won't they i guess yeah yeah now do you recognize the actress who plays uh crewman cutler kelly waymeyer uh yeah so it's funny actually because um obviously we've got this love of seinfeld and we always call back to it and this actress looks so much like the uh, member of the the woman that Jerry dates in uh, the Festivus episode, where it's like if it's dark she oh, looks horrible, <laughs> and if she looks light she looks great. She looks exactly like that, but I think she's got darker hair here. Um, this is actually uh, Vivian from uh, the Seinfeld episode The Blood, uh, and I know yep. this because of our <laughs> trivia last week. She was one of the answers. And uh, those oh, of, of course you, you would know then, yes. Of yeah, course. and if those of you don't remember, this is the woman who didn't want Elaine to babysit her baby. Uh, she wanted, her she was going to get child. Kramer to do it. <laughs> and Elaine wanted to do it to prove that she was responsible. That enough. she was capable of doing it, yeah. Um, and then so do you yeah. remember how that episode ends? Uh, the blood. Uh, doesn't they get, they, the blood ends up in the car or something? They end up putting the blood in the... Well, I mean with uh, with Vivian. Oh, with Vivian. Oh, my goodness. I don't know that I do. Okay, so that's also the episode where George uh, tries to... He's, like, eating a sandwich while he's, like, sleeping with his girlfriend. And she finds out and she throws him out. And then he goes over to Vivian's for some reason. And he finds out that she likes to eat sandwiches. <laughs> she likes <laughs> eating, like, cured meats while um, engaging in... Uh, 
and then the end the end of the episode is them like you know doing it on the kitchen floor with a bunch of pastrami <laughs> yes okay i do remember that that is funny it, it is the most sensual of the cured meats <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's uh that's kelly waymeyer okay nice nice little uh star trek reference i believe that she was also in star trek voyager but i don't remember what episode yeah, that she was. She was in an episode called Muse, which I oh, could okay. not tell you a single thing about it because I haven't seen it in ages. Right. And she she died very young, unfortunately, due to a uh, a heart, uh, oh, no. regular heartbeat, which was. Uh, I I remember when it happened. It was kind of a big deal because I feel like they were kind of building this character up on Enterprise, and and she passed sort of in the middle of it, which was oh. very unfortunate. That's um, too bad. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, um, so the last sort of point here in this uh, section that I wanted to, to, to talk about was uh, there was a bit of a parallel in sort of the main and the secondary story about how, how humans deal with differences in, in culture uh, or cultural practices in this, at this stage of, of history. And I thought that, that was very cool that they sort of had both that, that sort of present in both, uh, both stories. I, I really like when they were able to do that. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, I mean, it's not crazy, crazy deep, but I mean, I, I do like that uh, this is introduced here. And I, I do kind of feel like, uh, yeah, it, I, I almost want to go back and look and see, you know, why did Enterprise get so much hate? You know, we just don't appreciate what we have in the time in which we have it. Now, looking back, I feel like Enterprise has aged really well because they took the time to put this kind of stuff in. All right, so getting back to sort of the main story, uh, the Valakians ask Archer to give them warp drive so that they can search for a, uh, a cure. Um, that was a bit of a surprising turn, uh, that these aliens, A, know what warp drive is, although I guess at the beginning they did mention that they ran into uh, some other aliens, including the Ferengi. Mm -hmm, that was a nice little drop, eh? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of cool. So, um... You know, Archer's kind of got this conundrum, like, you know, do I give them technology that they that they haven't attained yet so that they can find a cure or do or do we withhold it from them and and kind of hinder their efforts at, at finding a cure? And I thought that was kind of an interesting little uh, dilemma that he that they sort of threw at, at him. Yeah, it kind of shows that, uh, you know, Archer is uh, going to be shaped through his experiences and that, uh, you know, Phlox and DePaul and all the crew members have a little tiny piece of what will eventually become the prime directive so that uh, Captain Janeway can break it in the future. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I do like how, you know, they come across this moral conundrum and uh, it is... Yeah, it, 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 it's really well done. Again, I think that they, they maybe could have done a little bit more with the exposition because the the reasoning for them wanting to go and, and look for a cure was like slightly different. Cause it's like, oh, we need to go look for the cure. And then Flock says, well, I have the cure. You should give it to them. Well, no, no, I shouldn't. Okay, well, then don't. It's kind of, there's almost like a little bit too much back and forth there, but still it's really, really good. Um, I like it a lot. And I do like that Archer is the one who, after sleeping on it, um, decides to change his mind and say, you know what? We can't really just bomb around the universe playing God to lesser species. So they decide to, you know, to kind of go and, and leave it be. Yeah, you've sort of hit on the next couple of points where it was kind of a bit of a flip-flop thing where, you know, Phlox believes that it's, you know, it's an evolutionary step and that because of that he shouldn't interfere in the natural development, which sounds very strangely familiar uh, to a directive that comes in later shows. Yes, it's definitely a wink-wink. Um, wink. Oh yeah, this is a, this is 100% like, okay, here's the story of the Prime Directive. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, Archer at first is like, no, no, you got to give these guys this cure. Like they, they're going to die if you don't. Their civil, their, their race is going to become extinct. Um, and then, yeah, he has this weird change of heart that they, they didn't really explain, I don't think. I don't remember them sort of giving any explanation. He just sort of at the last minute decides, no, I guess we should just let nature run its course rather than 
playing God. And, and I mean, maybe Fox was able to persuade him because Fox gave him that whole, uh, that whole thing about like, well, what if the, what if a, you know, an alien race had come and given the Neanderthals a, you know, genetic advantage and they became the dominant species. And I, I don't know whether that was, you know, what sort of turned, tipped the scales for Archer, but at the last minute he, he, yeah, he, he decides not to, to give them the cure. Which is, I mean, is obviously the right choice. Like we know now that we shouldn't really go around mucking about and it seems to be all we ever do, but uh, we know that it, it doesn't end up being beneficial. Uh, and I mean, it, it's one of those things where if you can come up with your own cure, then that's that kind of fits with your own direct your own like evolution and, and narrative and stuff. But then if you have somebody coming around helping you all the time, uh, it's tough. I thought that it was interesting to Paul mentions that, uh, you know, the Vulcans helped the humans get the warp drive technology going by by kind of setting up a camp there on Earth. But it wasn't until they had gotten to a certain point which allowed them to because i mean in later incarnations of almost every star trek including enterprise they shouldn't even really be talking to these people because if they don't have warp drive i think that the the prime directive or the directive one would indicate that you shouldn't even interact with them you should be in the disguise and everything else i think that is generally true yes yeah that if they're pre-warp you, you don't even you don't even talk to them yeah, so you don't even interact with them. You and of course, there's how many episodes where they off. go and interact with them. But I digress. Well, it's true. Yeah, it's uh, it's subject to uh, the plot requirements of the episode. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, how would you rate Archer's uh, Picardian speech about a uh, a directive? He uses the that exact word. So, so would you rate that as like a Picard level speech or a um, I don't know. Michael Burnham level, level speech. Yeah, I, I think it's got to be somewhere in between. Uh, I don't think that he has the same kind of level as Picard here. Um, uh, but, I mean, it's good. And, again, it's everything about Enterprise is, and it should be, that, you know, early days they are struggling to even just get around and they're struggling to to bind as a crew and they're struggling to do the big speech. So I'm I'm fine with it. I think it was great. Yeah, it was a pretty decent speech. I think it was, uh, like you say, it's not, I mean, Picard is on a totally other level. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty, pretty cool speech. And I thought it was, uh, you know, this whole episode, as I said, was very obvious sort of precursor to the prime directive. And I thought it was clever that they, that they even used that, the, the word directive in that little, little speech he gave. So not bad at all. Not bad at all. Now, I want to talk about the ending mm -hmm. of this episode because uh, it was apparently a bit contentious, uh, the, the ending, the way it ended where, like we said, Archer decides at the last second to withhold the, the cure from the, uh, the Valakians. And uh, I think he gave them some like medication to like help with the, uh, the symptoms and the effects of it, but he, but he didn't give them the actual cure and then they just sort of wander off. Mm -hmm. The original ending was that Phlox discovered a cure, but he didn't tell Captain Archer about it. He he didn't even oh. say that he found a cure. And then you don't find out that he had a cure until the very end of the episode where he's dictating a letter to Dr. Lucas and he says, I found the cure, but I wasn't I didn't I couldn't trust that the Captain Archer would do the right thing with it. Mm, I see I don't know if I like that as much. I I kinda feel like that makes it seem underhanded or something. Well, you're thinking the same way that the executives thought. Okay, right. they didn't like the idea that Phlox would uh, would not do as Archer wanted. Right. Essentially, so they they asked them to change it, and John Billingsley apparently was not thrilled about it. I mean, if everybody just follows the captain blindly, then maybe that is not the best thing. I know that a lot of Voyager fans always felt that the Maquis people just kind of fell in line awfully quick. Uh, and just follow Janeway unless it wasn't like, you know, imperative to the plot. And so, I mean, maybe people are just dying for, uh, you know, a Star Trek where the, the captain gets undermined all the time. But then with that kind of mindset, you know what you get? You get Star Trek Discovery. So um, I don't know <laughs> that I like that personally. I, I definitely feel like uh, I like the crew to be more intact and, and to be together for sure. 
It certainly would have maybe changed the perspective on Dr. Fox's character. Yes. Because you make it, it makes it seem like, oh, well, if push comes to shove, is he going to actually do what the, the captain wants? Or is he going to stick with his own moral, his own moral exactly. judgment? Which and, I just don't know that you want to do this early in the series. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's a tough one. That, that's t- if you introduce that early on in the series, I mean, that's that's a tricky one because then you either need to find ways for him to continue violating the, the, the trust of the captain without it being mm-hmm. detrimental or you have to find a way for him to earn or for Archer to earn his trust. And right. either way, it's like, do you really want to have to do either of those things? I uh, Maybe not. Yeah, no, I definitely like it better like this, and I feel like if there was that last little piece, then it would probably ruin the ending that we did get, which kind of leads us into, I like, or you, and I'm sure you like it as well, but um, I do like that we end at sickbay as well with the mail getting taken away, because I feel like in the beginning, Hoshi brings the mail in, and then at the end... She's like picking up the mail. I guess that's Hoshi's job because she's the communicative officer. She's also the mail woman. Um, but uh, I, I did like the uh, the yin and the yang that we get with that closing. And I feel like if it was like Hoshi walked out and then he phoned up Dr. Lucas, it would have kind of ruined some of that as well. Yeah, and I kind of like that it ended with almost exactly the same shot even. Yeah, with the very closed, true. Sick by a door because at the very beginning it's all dark. The door's closed and then the door opens. He walks in. He feeds all his animals, and the end. The episode ends with him sort of like, you know, doing his sort of final round, making sure everything's in order. He sort of looks up and he turns the light off and he walks out and the door closes. And I thought that was a pretty neat little sort of bookend that they did in, uh, in the episode. Very very cool. And actually, in the script, there was actually supposed to be a shot of the Enterprise sort of at warp, but they. I guess they may have run out of time or for whatever reason, they just, they just cut it out. But I, I think it was pretty cool the way it ended up. Yeah. I like it like this a lot better. Okay. So the, the, the sort of final uh, question here, is this the first great enterprise episode? I mean, we've had the Andorian incident, which actually came before this, but um, I, I mean, I guess what I would say is, is this maybe to, to maybe narrow it down a little bit, say, is this the bet first great Enterprise episode with as far as character development outside of Captain Archer goes. Yeah, I mean, Broken Bow is really good. Enterprise Incident's really good. There's some kind of junky ones in those early Enterprise days. Um, this is definitely the first great episode sans Archer to pull and trip. That's easily uh, the answer to that question. In terms of just the first great Enterprise episode as a whole, Nah, the Andorian incident's great, and uh, also Broken Bow is pretty great too. So um, I would definitely say that this is the first great uh, side character episode for sure. I think that's probably a reasonable assessment. I mean, if you're going to look at when when I think of the first season, the three episodes that you mentioned, well, the two that you mentioned plus this one, these are the only three that I could probably give you a very, uh, I could probably give you a no hesitation rundown of what happens the other ones are just like you said there's a fair number of clunkers and a lot of them are are kind of similar or they're perpetuating existing star trek tropes um but yeah this is a this is a pretty good one um i was the 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 thing i was gonna say as far like uh to continue with our seinfeld uh (laughs) you know is it is this episode like the uh the chinese restaurant of enterprise yeah, it, it has that feeling, right, where you break the mold. It's like Data's Day, the Chinese restaurant in Seinfeld. Um, there has been kind of a resurgence of these types of episodes. Um, I watch a show called Ted Lasso. It's really popular on Apple TV. And uh, kind of like every season, there's like an episode that's like about a completely side character. Um, and and I, I kind of feel like that is something that is coming into popularity again especially since it allows directors and actors and stuff to do kind of something a little bit different a little bit uh, um, out of the norm and uh, I mean it works excellently here so yeah I mean like I said it it may not be the first great episode but it's certainly among the first great episodes of, uh, of Enterprise 
Let's move on to some uh, interesting uh, trivia points here. Um, so Dr. Lucas, who uh, is Flox's uh, colleague slash pen pal, uh, we see him in the flesh in season four. Now, do you remember which episodes? Yeah. There's two of them. It was one of those three-part episodes. Yeah, it's the, isn't it the one with Brent Spiner, the um, the aug, the Augments? Is that an episode? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so he's in yeah the, he's in that three part episode. He's he's only in two of the episodes, but yeah, he's that's the one that he. Can I go with a little spoiler alert here for the people listening at home? Oh yeah, uh, spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Um, is doesn't he get killed in that episode? Don't they put him in, like that tube thing that like liquefies him or something? Or is that somebody different? Ooh, I don't know if they kill him, but they certainly threatened to. They, they were threatened to, and and were like on the verge. Okay, okay, I, guys, I'm on the right episode for sure. Then, and do you remember? Do you recognize that actor? No, mm, oh, it's been so long. I mean, I can't really remember. No, what was he in? He he was in uh, Office Space. Do you remember the uh, the guy who always thought he was going to get fired? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, was, I do, I, I do notice him. I'm yeah. like ninety nine percent sure it's the same actor. And the off chance that I'm wrong, you can send hate mail to randomtruckreview uh, <laughs> at gmail dot com. No doubt. Uh, so, oh, I actually mentioned this one already. The uh, this this is the second mention of the movie night, and this is the first time we see it on screen. Did you recognize the movie, Matt? I didn't recognize it, but uh, oh, what was it? It was a movie called For Whom the Bell Tolls, which I'm sure must have been into, uh, what do they call that, like free free media or something like that? Like, isn't it after a certain oh. time the copyright goes away so they can use it without yeah. paying the rights? I'm sure that it must be that because it's like old, old. It's like 20s or 30s old, I want to say. Oh, yeah, it was an old. It was definitely an old film. Uh, so we didn't really, I think this was, we mentioned this once in passing but uh, this has a similar narrative structure to data's day which is uh, another episode that i think really stands out for the same reason this one does and it's basically a single crew member providing narration through a series of letters or, or correspondences so um this isn't a, a totally new thing that they they did but i i think it's a very effective uh, effective way of kind of changing things up a little bit yeah, and you know what? It's it's very similar to Matt. I'm surprised that you didn't mention it because it's it's one that we like just watched not that long ago. It's very similar to Whispers with uh, Miles O'Brien. Remember that one where he's he thinks everybody's against him, and it's from his perspective. Yep, that's true too. Yeah, I, I somehow that totally escaped me. I mean, to be fair, we were we did record that one uh, several months ago but yeah that just it, it's it's definitely a narrative that they go to the well on uh you know multiple times for sure and one last in very interesting thing uh, for me anyway uh christopher rydell was uh, the name of the actor who co-starred as the uh, the alien pilot or i guess the valakian pilot of the uh the, the spacecraft he is the son of joanne linville who is the actress who played the romulan commander on the enterprise incident of the original series oh okay cool all right, a uh, couple of uh, interesting production notes. Uh, the first one here is uh, quite funny, uh, I thought anyway. Uh, so John Billingsley decided to uh, to do a prank or play a prank on the uh, on the the crew with one of the voiceovers. So what they did with the voiceovers was they pre-recorded the the sort of voiceover part, and then as they were like acting out the scene where the voiceover was was going over top of, they would play the voiceover like I guess through the, the speakers so that the actors could could kind of hear what was what was going to be going on. Right. And so he he recorded one uh, for the scene. I guess one of the scenes when they were on the bridge, where uh, what was it? His exact words. It was something along the lines of, uh, "Boy." Archer sure certainly does look good in that tight uniform. I wonder <laughs> if he's wearing any underwear and what it's what it's like in there. Just and just went on and on and on and on and on. And so like you know they're supposed to be acting, and all of a sudden this this zany, totally inappropriate voiceover comes over, and uh, That's funny. apparently got quite a chuckle from uh, from the the cast and from the crew that were there. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, I, I love it when uh, you certainly hear on Delta Flyers, uh, if, you yes. if you don't listen to that, that every so often, you know, they'll pull, pull out a story about uh, Tim Russ seems to be the uh, common culprit of, uh, you know, similar kinds of, you know, jokes and, and pranks while they were trying to get their work done. But yeah. hey, you got to have funny. fun, right? Yeah, exactly. If you're not yeah. laughing, you're crying. Exactly. Um, 
There was a uh, a prop from this episode. Uh, it was a solar lantern. I'm not sure what exactly that means. I'm guessing it was some sort of lantern from the uh, the alien planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was auctioned off on one of those uh, you know eBay auctions that they had all those uh, several years ago, where they auctioned off a whole bunch of stuff. So, whoever has that solar lantern, if you're listening, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, exactly. I'd love to. <laughs> Where do you have it displayed, or do you actually use it as a lantern when you go camping? <laughs> That'd be funny if it was like they, they just bought it for like 10 bucks and they're like, hey, this is a great camping lantern. And it was from <laughs> Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, just to quickly uh, mention, uh, this episode was uh, pretty well received by both the actors and the producers of the show. Um, John Billingsley certainly was. Uh, quite happy with how this episode turned out except for the ending um it, the actor who played Denson Mayweather he um he apparently in some interview said that he thought this was one of the best episodes of the season for for whatever that's worth yeah he's seen it so much <laughs> that whole one line yeah that mm-hmm. was a big part of the episode and um Michael Piller uh was also pretty uh, pretty impressed with this so um Almost universally well received this episode by uh, by a lot of different uh, people involved, and I think a lot of fans probably uh, probably enjoy it as well. So, Andrew, uh, is there a, a memorable scene or a line from this episode that uh, jumped out at you that you want to throw at us? I think I am going to snag the uh, the opening bit with the with the animals i know that it's probably a part that uh, that you liked but uh i i think that uh i don't know i i think that that's probably just kind of my favorite bit it was uh definitely um yeah definitely kind of a, a funny light-hearted way to start the episode uh if you're gonna go with that one uh there's, there's no lines that stuck out um, I guess just kind of like I maybe was just kind of more referring to when Flox is talking to the animals and he's like, oh, 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 wait your turn, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. That's that's a great great scene as we uh, as we talked about right off the top here. Um, I'm gonna go with the movie night. Um, I thought the movie night was very uh, memorable. Um, there wasn't really any specific lines that really jumped out at me, but um, I guess because I liked the movie scene so much and I thought it was so, uh, you know, kind of funny and whimsical, especially with flocks, you know, sort of using it as an opportunity to see how the crew reacts emotionally to certain things. Um, I'll go with uh, Tripp's line where he goes, uh, he turns around and he's got tears in his eyes and he goes, Oh, I got something in my eye. Yeah, that's pretty good. Kind of cliche, but you know what? It worked. All right. Well, I think that's all we uh, really have to, to talk about here so uh andrew why don't you uh wrap things up here give me your final thoughts on dear doctor and uh give me a rating out of five genetic defects um i was almost certain that i was going to be five out of five on this one um my memory of it was that it was like a next level amazing episode that was was like life-changing um this time through i kind of saw a little bit of the holes in it i i thought that the the stuff with the aliens was not as like well put together as I remembered it. Um, but there was kind of a part in the middle. Where I was getting like a little bit bored. There's like almost no action to it. It's just all uh, exposition and kind of flocks kind of going about. And um, yeah, it's still really, really good. And for early enterprise, I think that it is, um, I think it's an awesome episode. I recommend it highly, highly, but I don't know if it's a five out of five. So I'm going to give it four out of five genetic defects because uh, I think that there was just a little bit that wasn't really sussed out. I think that it could have been perfect, but they they just were lacking with some of that uh, that depth. Okay, well, uh, four out of five is still pretty good, especially for uh, early Enterprise. Uh, I'm very torn. Um... I'm very torn. I, I think about this one and how much it reminds me of Data's Day, and that to me is pretty close to a 5 out of 5 if I had to give it a rating. Um, I mean, it does have a few kind of odd things. Whether we talked about the lack of any kind of reaction when they found out that the Valakians had this like entire subservient race. I found that a little strange and a little <laughs> bit out of character considering, you know, Archer's... Uh, 
uh, Archer's reactions to some other uh, aliens in the early uh, early seasons of Enterprise. So that was a little bit odd, but um, you know that and the, the the romance was a little bit strange as well because it's like she's clearly interested. He makes a move and she kind of backs off, and then at the end you're kind of left wondering. Yeah, well, there's that weird thing we didn't talk about, but uh, he's got like three wives. And the wives have three husbands. And that seems like it's a turnoff for her. But then at the end, I guess, like she literally says, I have no interest in being your fourth wife. And then at the end, it's like, hey, you want to get some coffee? So that was kind of weird, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a little bit odd. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of grudgingly going to go four out of five with this one as well. Um, I mean, I really want to give it five, but it's just it's it's so close, but it's just not quite there for me. So, um I'll also give it four genetic defects out of five. I mean, it's a really good episode, and like we've sort of mentioned already, it's it's sort of one of the handful of early classics from season one of Enterprise. And uh, but yeah, just not quite. I mean, if I look think about it, is it as good as the Andorian incident? It's not not quite there, but it's very very close. All right, I think that's the red alert siren that I hear, which uh, of course means we are near the end of our podcast here but it also means it is time to reach deep into the top hat of episodes and i will choose a new episode for that we will review on the next podcast and andrew will have 60 seconds to tell me everything he can about this episode andrew what are you thinking here what are you what are you hoping for what do you think you're going to Oh, you know what? Just give me some season two lower decks or something, you know? Something that's right fresh in my memory so I don't need to do a lot of thinking. Well, I don't mm, think you're going to get quite get something that fresh, but I think it will be reasonably fresh because we will remain on the NX-01. It's another Enterprise episode. Okay, this time we well are going then. to be looking at an episode from season two, episode number 16... And the title is Future Tense. Future Tense. So I'll give Andrew a moment here to uh, gather his thoughts, see what he can remember off the top of his head for from Future Tense. Andrew is furiously writing. I can see the gears turning in his brain. He looks fairly confident hmm but maybe not okay i'm i think i'm ready but okay looks like he's ready to go so i will get uh 60 seconds on the clock and andrew your time begins now so i think that this is the one with like the old archer he wakes up kind of like in a uh, on a planet that's like an old folks home uh, and he has like a caregiver and uh, he's suffering from some sort of like amnesia or some sort of like mental problem because of an accident that happened like years previously on the Enterprise. Um, but I feel like it's kind of like the 51st Dates thing where he doesn't remember it and that they need to kind of remind him what happens. Um, T'Pol comes and visits and has to tell him like, you know, lots of uh, members of the crew died that day and she might even have like an injury. Um, and then I think that it ends with him having to go back using, um, remember that friend of his from the future or whatever, they allow him to like kind of go back and like push himself out of the way or to like uh, to prevent the accident from happening because the warp core explodes and um, there's very few survivors and uh, that's uh, gets reversed and we're back to square one. Okay, that is your time. Um, if you... Ch I just don't think it's season two. That's the thing. That's the only thing that I'm not happy with that answer. Actually. Yeah, I think you might be a little early for that one. Um, but that's a very good episode and you gave a very good description of it so maybe uh, got lucky maybe <laughs> it's actually earlier than i think it is i guess we'll have to find out yeah but that's a good I guess mean, based on the title yeah the only thing i don't like is is that i feel like the episode i'm describing took place during the zindi war which is season three that's possible that's possible I, I'm almost certain that it's season three. Um, the only thing is, is that I'm, I thought that was the name of the episode. 
But you know what? The thing is, what was the guy's name? Daniels? Yeah. Was yeah, that Daniels. the future? So, I mean, I feel like that guy's probably in it at least. Oh, yes. I, get, so, I, 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 get one. I think you're probably right about that. He always pokes his head around whenever there's some sort of time time anything. Time tomfoolery. Yep. All right, well, we'll have to go uh, get the DVDs and the VHS player going so that uh, we can take a look at future tense. Um, it, uh, it's going to be fun to be on the Enterprise. Maybe that's what's going to happen this season. Maybe we'll just be on the Enterprise for every single episode, Matt. Well, I mean, statistically speaking, we, we should be uh, getting some Enterprise episodes. So I guess uh, kind of like last year when Deep Space Nine cropped up a lot to even things out maybe this is going to be the sort of enterprise resurgence uh, here on rtr yes the the year of the enterprise the year of the enterprise we could do worse all right folks yeah no doubt we'll see you in about two weeks time to talk about future tense so long folks this show is brought to you by hollow sweet media Computer, list other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Yeah, so we cut to night time. Harry sneaks out of the bed and starts looking up Voyager with his security codes, etc. Um, again, should be in underwear, but... Computer, show me Tom Paris. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> show me his location right now. Oh, he's 450 meters away. <laughs> hey. Oh my gosh. It was Grongle. <laughs> he's like, I have to go to a hookup. Olivia, I have to go to Bear. I had to, he found, he found him Tom on, and on Space on Star Trek Grinder. And he's like, <laughs> Space Grinder. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4 Beyond Farpoint, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. And Picard's the other character trying to solve the mystery, so he leaves for that reason alone. It could be, and it could really be any character, any one of of the main cast members could have gone with Data and been there with Data several days later, trying to solve what happened to the Enterprise. It's it, it it's very very much a kind of a, a plot reason and nothing more. I think. Yeah, um, I kind of wish Data had stayed on the ship actually, because I would like to have seen him regress to a pocket calculator. <laughs> Computer, deactivate Holosuite.